0: Hi, and welcome to season five of Business Book Talk. Hope you're going to enjoy this new season. I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you will really enjoy some of the books that we have planned. So let's get on with the show. Hi, everybody. Bob again. I've got Accounting for the Numberphobic, a survival guide for small business owners. And I've got Dawn Photopolis. Uh <laughs> I've got her on the line. And, and you're way out in New York right now?
1: I am. Mm-hmm. I am. Born and raised, too. <laughs>
0: Now, you know, it. it's a fantastic book because it really, it, it tackles the question that everybody should be asking themselves if they get into small business, what the heck's going on with the finances and stuff like that. But before we get too much into detail, uh, I wanted to ask you why you decided to write the book.
1: Oh, wow. I want you to know that I did everything in my power to avoid writing this book. (laughs) I did not want to write it. I wrote it kicking and screaming. I did everything I could to avoid it, and it got to the point where I just had no choice. I had to codify it and codify uh, what I've done in the classroom with thousands of small business owners, Bob, because... What I began to realize, I'm a certified facilitator in the Kaufman Fast Track Program. And I don't know if you know it, but Kaufman is the platinum standard in the US for teaching small, businesses, small business owners how to run a company, mm. right? And after 9 11, the city of New York got a significant grant from Kaufman to help these small business owners survive what really was a very traumatic experience. And I had a chance to get to know them in the trenches and up close. And everything from people teaching pole dancing for fitness to, you know, IT consultants and lawyers and dentists and, and fashion designers walked into my classroom. So I really got a good cross-section of small business life. And whenever we got to talk about the numbers, everybody shut down. And these are people who've been running these businesses now for a while. I mean, these were not just startup businesses. And the thing that was so interesting to me was these are smart people. And they are very capable at their craft. They know what they're doing. But they never learned how to run a business. And I sort of had this epiphany. And uh, let me ask you this. Do you drive a car? Yeah, sure. You do? Yeah? Good. What do you do when you drive a car? You sit in this driver's seat you, you know, strap up, lock your doors, turn on the ignition, and then you, sh- you put your car in gear, and then you shut your eyes and attempt to get to your destination, right? <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah. It's How a lot of noise.
1: <laughs> right? How ridiculous is that? Well, you would be amazed to learn that over 98% of small business owners that I have canvassed, and that, uh, that's out of about 5,000 of them, do not know that a P&L and a net income statement are the same thing. Oh boy. Okay, and that's about as basic as it gets. And so I began to realize that there's this enormous disconnect between people who are incredibly capable at their craft and incredibly ignorant um of the basics of running a business and i don't say that as a criticism i say that as an observation as a professor right what am i doing i'm trying to enlighten people so they become independent they can go out there into the world and they can live off their cash flow and they have a thriving business regardless of what's going on in the economy that's the goal right living off your cash flow and thriving no matter what's going on in the economy so I took kind of a step back and I said, okay, I think there is an opportunity here to take this dry, brittle, horrific topic that everybody wants to run screaming from namely accounting and financial analysis and make it funny. Mm-hmm so um, I was actually number phobic at one point in my life in my earlier years I'm a serial entrepreneur I started a company when I was 22 young and foolish and it ended up doing pretty well but I had to learn the hard way and um, when I was talking to my publisher which is amicom books the American Management Association I said you know I, I wanna make this fun and I wanna make it approachable especially for the creative types who think they don't need to know this because they've gotten an accountant or they, they think that you know the money people are going to take care of it, but then they don't make good management decisions because they really don't understand what's happening in the business. So I hired a guy who worked for Disney for 20 years. His name is Ron Bucallo, he's, an, he, he's just phenomenal and he's a, he's a spectacular illustrator, but he's a very funny man just by nature. And I said to him, okay, Ron, you know, if this is an idea, let's say we're going through these three key statements. I call it your financial dashboard, your net income statement, your cash flow statement, and your balance sheet. I said, "Um, how do we illustrate some of these key ideas so that people will remember them? And the illustrations are so funny and they're so great and they're so engaging that it takes an intimidating topic and really makes it fun and interesting. So I think from that standpoint one of the key reasons why I wrote the book is I saw this need in the classroom and I saw a lot of people in pain who couldn't pay their bills they were great at what they did and after we went through what essentially is a simple road map in the book its only ten short chapters um, their lives turned around I mean the content in this book Turned 300 businesses around. Businesses that would have closed their doors because of bankruptcy are now thriving because the people that run them learned what's in this book. Hmm. So that was such an eye opener for me. And I thought, okay, if we can turn around 300, then why not 300,000? Why not 30,000? You know, why not 3 million? And uh, the book is really the tip of the spear to do that. And it's part of a campaign. And the campaign is the Know Your Numbers campaign.
0: Hmm. Wow. So you are a woman on fire to revolutionize and educate uh, small businesses that want to survive and grow. Because they're not really doing what they should be doing, which is what every business person should be doing. And it's managing consistency. Throughout the organization, and not saying, "Ah, I don't like accounting, so I'm not going to manage it." And I, I run into that so many times where you have uh, ineffective management because they hand it off to somebody and then don't manage the person that they've handed the responsibility off. And I think that's in true. the numbers game, that's super critical.
1: That's so, right. And here's the here's the thing, okay. Hmm. The book does not advocate for everybody to become a CPA who runs a small business. <laughs> you hire a CPA because it's that person's job to keep you out of the crosshairs of, you know, the Internal Revenue Service or the equivalent in your country, right? That's the person that's going to prepare your taxes because you got better things to do. So that person has a role. That role doesn't go away. This book doesn't make that role go away. But what this book does is, you know, that person isn't going to run your business any more than your mechanic is going to drive your car, right? Mm. So you got to drive your car, you got to learn how to make decisions in your business. So what the accountant can do, what the bookkeeper can do to add value is print out the income statement the cash flow statement and the balance sheet for you to look at because you've given them all the information all the data all the receipts all the whatever's and presumably they put all of that information in the right buckets they worry about the debits and credits they worry about you know monthly reconciliations and all of that but what the book does is it shows you how to read your financial dashboard so for example when you're looking at your profit and loss statement or your net income statement they are the same thing you know if you're earning a profit or not i mean i know that sounds pretty basic but you'd be shocked at how many people have absolutely no clue of whether or not they're making money and you know when you're taking all this risk making money is not only important but it's it's fair you should get a return for all of that risk and all those sacrifices so you need to know are you earning a profit is the business earning a profit and if it isn't why isn't it and what the book does is it takes you through that diagnostic bit by bit line by line breaks it down makes it nice and easy and you can look at your business and actually say hey you know what I have some products in my product line that are underwater every time I sell a product it actually costs me money but if you don't look at your profit and loss statement and your net income statement rather you have no idea You know, you may be servicing clients that are losing you money, but if you don't look at your net income statement, you have no clue. So, you know, the net income statement is the first step. That's what we call sort of like your speedometer on your dashboard, right? How fast are you generating profits? And if you want to generate them fast enough, we give you some strategies and some key takeaways in the book as to things you should look at things you should consider everything from pricing strategy to client distribution strategy to a few other things very basic things though that you can change today or tomorrow that will have a material impact on your bottom line so you don't have to wait three months to do that you can look at it today you can understand it its money in money out and what's left over in a nutshell that's what a net income statement is but it's not enough Because even if you're earning a profit, how many people in this world know that you could be showing a profit and still be going bankrupt? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Because the definition of bankruptcy, of course, is running out of cash. And what the net income statement does not do is it doesn't track cash. It tracks transactions but it doesn't track cash and the reason why that matters is because all of your sales don't necessarily translate to cash or they don't translate to cash in the same period. If you're a service provider, there's a lady I know who does uh, consulting work. And so she bills her clients, she does the work, she bills her clients, and the clients pay 30 days later or 40 days later. So there's a time lag between the time you do the work and you bill the client and the time you actually get the cash into the business. And why does that matter? Because your expenses don't go away while you're waiting to get paid. You still have to pay the rent, you still have to pay the lights, the insurance, and so on so it's really important to track cash and that's what your cash flow statement does and we take you through that step-by-step in the book so that's I guess it's chapter four and five and six actually and there are some very simple things that you can do to help improve your cash flow so things like how you invoice a client how you negotiate payment terms when you get the sale upfront how you manage cash flow when the cash actually comes in. Simple things that make you far less dependent on the bank, on creditors, and on outside investors. Mm -hmm. And I have seen people triple their cash flow in less than 30 days by doing some of these things we've talked about. I mean, just for example, you would be appalled at how many small business owners kill themselves to deliver for a client and then they never invoice them. Or they invoice them like three months later.
0: Yeah, it's, well, I think a lot of it is, is a, a lot of people don't have systems in place and they don't follow yeah. their systems because obviously there's nothing to follow. They think, ah, I'll just do it when I do it. And a lot of stuff falls through the, tra- uh, through the cracks. You did make a very salient point about tracking expenses there. And uh, I think that's probably the, one of the biggest things you can do for business or even for your family is to know exactly how much money it costs to survive for that one month. Does it cost $2,500? Does it cost $3,500? Does it cost $5,500? And then am I making that much money? That's right.
1: That's right. And you know what, Bob? People have to remember too, and this is the reason why tracking month to month becomes so important, and you sort of of suggested that, is that the cash flow is going to be different every month because a lot of businesses have seasonality, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're a photographer and we have a million examples like this in the book, and these are real life examples, if you're a photographer, you know what? You're not really shooting a whole lot of pictures in January, February, and March because people are trying to digest their expenses from the holidays and you know, they're trying to pay their bills and there's not a whole lot going on in families. you know, weddings aren't usually happening in January and so on. But if you're a photographer, you still have to pay insurance on all your equipment. You know, you still have to pay your rent for your studio. So there's a lot of money going out and not a whole heck of a lot of money coming in. And the reason why we want to track it month by month is get an idea of when we're going to be in those cash crunch periods, you know, where there's a lot of money going out, not a whole lot coming in and plan for it instead of being a victim of it. So if the money comes in in the fourth quarter for that photographer, and it typically does because people want to give photographs as gifts and so on, you know, and that photographer gets paid, let's say, November, December time frame, then there are certain, you know, there's a certain amount of money that you want to maintain in the account so that you can weather those heavy-duty expenses in the first quarter, January, February, March and then sometime in April people start booking for weddings and babies being born and all kinds of great stuff and so the business revenues begin to take off and cash flow improves in the third and fourth quarter but you gotta plan for that and the cash flow statement, the income statement, net income statement and the cash flow statement are very simple to understand and they will really help you Get ahead of the curve. You know, think three months, six months in advance. And I tell you, it's just better than taking a sleeping pill. It's so much easier to get rest when you know where you're headed, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Well, for me, I have a, I I call it a survival slush fund. And basically, uh, I know basically how much it costs to survive. And I have a six-month slush fund in the bank at all times in cash. And it drives my investor nuts. He says, can I have that money? He says, no, that's that's spent. That's, I can't touch it, it's gone. Because if I have a crisis and uh, we need to survive and have the business survive, that money has to be in place for me to basically bankroll my own company.
1: That's so smart, Bob. And you know how few people actually do that? That's yeah, tough. How few people even understand the concept of that, that there are these, you know, Unexpected events—something that happens that you can't anticipate. Um, most small business owners, especially the solopreneurs, the ones that are trying to, you know, turn their hobbies into cash flow or mm. their own jobs. Um, can barely keep the lights on in the next 30 days. Forget about having a six-month slush fund. I mean, that would be a pipe dream for them. <laughs> Unless they learn some of the key concepts that you and I are talking about.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of it is is the, the fantasy of profit where, you know, they get a check-in and, oh, it's five grand, great. I'm going to buy that $5,000 piece of equipment. Not realizing that, no, there's all these expensive, you didn't make $5,000, you made $375. That's so, right. And, and then they should take that 375 and cut it in half and say half of that goes into my uh, slush fund because it's down by 20%, so I get to build it back up. And the other thing, I'm going to pay my rent and feed myself with this 120 bucks. And then you start realizing, gosh, I better start hustling and making some more work happen.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Um, I wanted to ask you, what is the best way to approach this book? Is it the type of book that you should read cover to cover, or can you jump around in it?
1: Well, the book is written like a roadmap. It's really written kind of in a step-by-step format. So what I would recommend is that you read it the same way you would drink a fine wine. Mm. Okay, um, it's, it's funny and it's interesting and all of that, but it's very content-rich. So what I would recommend is that you read one chapter at a time and let it sink in. And make some minor course adjustments in your business according to the key takeaways at the end of that chapter. I would say a chapter a week should, that's a good clip, that's a good pace. Um, there are some people that might want to do more than that, but I would not say to read it more than one chapter a week and then actually make some of those changes in your business. And the other thing, too, is on my website, bestmobishelp.com, there's a, there's a, bright red panic button. And it's really a help button. And if you have any questions, if anybody who buys the book has questions, you will reach me directly if you hit that that red button. Mm-hmm. And um, the other thing that we have on the website, it's, gonna, it's published now, but we're going to promote it probably the end of this week, is a survey, a small business survey. It's free to take it. And it really gives you some wonderful feedback as to... Um, How much you really understand about running a small business? It's only ten questions. It's all true/false, and um, and and anybody who picks the book up should really take that assessment because it's a good benchmark for kind of where you are today. And then you could even take it again and see, you know, a couple of weeks from now, how much you've really understood and learned because it's it's really fascinating. You'll come up learning quickly. So, in answer to your question read start with chapter one because it assumes nothing it takes you through the absolute basics it, it kind of level sets your understanding and do no more than a chapter a week
0: hmm. yeah and, and i you know i like the way it's set up because you, you've got your chapter and then uh, at the end of the chapter is the key takeaway so you can go there uh for people that uh are impatient i think is a polite word um If they had to choose one chapter to read so they would get, okay, there's some value here. I should maybe go back to the beginning and start. What should they read?
1: That's a really good question. And I would say it's either chapter five or chapter six, Mm. which talks about cash flow management. Nice. Because at the end of the day, right, if you run out of cash, it's game over. Yep. So... uh, chapters one through three will take you through the net income statement chapter four talks about break even, but five and six possibly seven talk about uh... cash flow management but five and six talk about invoicing policy collections policies um, how you should invoice how frequently you should invoice i mean it's very savvy stuff it's totally easy to understand you could make some minor course adjustments today or tomorrow, and it will affect your cash flow in a good way, hmm. like overnight. So that's where I would start if, if you don't have time.
0: Yeah, I absolutely. I agree with, you know, basically chapter five, your cash flow statement is speaking. Can you hear it? I mean, that's great. Uh, <laughs> and then it's, you know, it's pretty in-depth. It breaks it down, why cash flow is important and the net revenue uh, and many other points, but then you go to the next chapter, managing your cash flow, more is better. And then it's basically just two points, managing cash flow and managing uh, cl- cash outflow and inflow are the two points in that one. And I think that's very interesting. So basically, chapter five is defining, understanding, getting your head around it. And then basically, chapter six is execution and and uh, just keep trying to do the same thing.
1: That's right. That's right. And it's putting those those. Basic, basic business disciplines in place, Bob, that you were talking about earlier. Um, And it gives you a very simple, you know, a few key bullets on how to do that. And, um, you know, the accounting software that's available now is very powerful. Your bookkeeper can deal with the software, but the reports are gold. Mm. They're absolute gold. So let me give you an example of what happened when I talked about the content that we have in Chapter 6, which is, you know, your cash flow speaking. I gave a seminar called Accounting for the Number Phobic. And it was one woman there who had a very significant business and she cuts children's hair. She has these children's barbershops all over New York. And when she finally realized what accounts receivables were, she jumped up with a start and she said, Oh my gosh accounts receivable, those are those are the customers that haven't paid me yet. I said, that's right. <laughs> and she said, I've got $40,000 in accounts receivable. I said, oh, that seems like real money to me. She said, I'm going to jump all over that. And I'm going to call up all those customers that have owed me money for months. I said, yes, you do that. Because if she doesn't do that, then she's got to go out and borrow money to keep the business afloat. She shouldn't have to do that. Mm. These people aren't going to take paying her seriously if she doesn't take getting paid seriously. So that's a pretty simple fix, right? Mm -hmm. And we talk about that in chapter six.
0: Do you think it's uh, because uh, small business owners are a little bit shy about asking for money?
1: Sure. Sure. I mean, to some people it feels like begging, but let's understand something. You have an exchange here of value. That's what it is. Mm. Somebody hired you to do work to do an interior design, to do photography, whatever it is, you deserve to get paid for that. And um, what we do in the book is we address the fact that some people are intimidated about giving a client a call, and we give you a strategy and a dialogue for how to handle those conversations. We don't just tell you to do it, we show you how to do it. Mm. And I will tell you in my 20 plus years of being in business, it works. It really works, and you maintain great relationships with your customers. It's not like you know you alienate them because you're asking to get paid. Um, people will respect what you do more if you're on top of your game. And first of all, you don't wait until here's one tip out of the book. You don't wait until the invoice is overdue to call a client mm. because then it's not a happy call. Okay, now you're peed. <laughs> you're not happy. That um, the customer has taken in their invoice for granted and you you need that money to run the business. No, don't wait. Um, Norm Brodsky, who is my interview for Chapter 10, is a genius at this. And he trained all his staff at City Storage to do this. Mm. And what they would do is they would call the customer about three to five days before the invoice was due. They knew the accounts payable clerk at the client. And they'd call Frida or Susie or whoever it was, and it was a happy call. And they'd say, you know, I know you're really busy. Just wanted to let you know the invoice is going to be due this Friday. Will there be a problem paying the invoice? Mm-hmm. And you'd be surprised how much really good information and feedback you get when you ask that simple question. Most of the time, the answer is, nope, I got it on a radar screen. We'll take care of it. And so then there's no excuse for not getting paid. Or if there is a problem, better that you know it in advance and can negotiate with the client. They say, you know what, cash is a little tight this month. The invoice is ten thousand dollars. We can't quite do the ten grand. So you can say to them, look, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll send you two invoices for five thousand. You pay me five thousand this Friday and you pay me five thousand a week from Friday. How does that sound? Right. So at least you're not out the full 10 grand and it's on their radar screen. And we show you very savvy ways of doing this, but you're not holding the bag for 10 grand is the key. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's it's um, it's actually quite shocking how little people know about the negotiation of being paid on something that they're, they're owed because it is still a negotiation. Um, even though you're on the right, you can't just go in there and start yelling at people unless they've been incredibly obnoxious for at least 90 days. And then you can go in there with the big heavy guns. Uh, but on a day-to-day basis, it's more about uh, communicating, showing that you're a good manager, showing that you're on top of the game and saying, hey, I, I know you owe me the money. So all the people that haven't made this phone call don't pay them but pay me and that's the game
1: that's exactly right and you end up getting to the top of the pile mm-hmm. right the invoices the squeaky wheel does get the grease okay
0: absolutely
1: you know and yeah go ahead I'm sorry
0: no no I was just want to ask you um, how important do you think it is to negotiate uh, the price and the payment when you just first start talking about the project
1: it is mission critical.
0: I know you like that one.
1: <laughs> absolutely mission critical. Well, you that was a great layup, thank you. That's right from the book. Here's the deal. If you're a sort of a larger company and you have salespeople that are getting paid commission, a salesperson will do whatever he or she needs to do to get the sale, right? Because they get commission based on whatever revenues or gross margin or mm-hmm. however negotiate that but they don't really care very much about when the business gets paid but you as the owner care very deeply about when you get paid because it's not just about the commission it is about cash flow and and one of the things that norm did which I think is super brilliant it didn't go over very well at the beginning but your salespeople have to collaborate with you on not just revenues but cash flow and you need to set the terms of payment up front with your salespeople. They're not just selling a product or a service, but they are also discussing payment terms. So if the client turns around and says, Well, we don't accept 30-day payment terms, we only accept 90-day payment terms, which means you gotta wait for three months, maybe, maybe longer, in order for the business to get the cash flow in, right? For the invoice to be paid. Um there may be ways to negotiate that and so one way is to say well then don't give us a million dollar order give us a hundred thousand or three hundred thousand dollar order but pay us in thirty days that actually will protect the business the other thing too is the salespeople need to understand that if they close a piece of business for make the numbers easy hundred thousand dollars and uh... but you're not but you have to pay cost of goods or you have to pay all your staff to deliver the service in those 90 days and you got you have to finance that receivable that $100,000 for 90 days you got to have at least at least $150,000 cash in your pocket that you don't need in order to finance that receivable for all kinds of reasons and you have got to know upfront if you can afford to maintain that receivable. And it might just be that that client is not gonna be a profitable client. You also wanna see what the client's buying. If the client is buying something from you that has very, very, very low gross profit, and they're gonna string you out for 90 days, your revenues might look great, but your cash flow is really gonna be on life support. Hmm. It may be better for you to just say, I'm not gonna take the order, cause the order actually is gonna put my business at risk. And most small business owners have absolutely no idea how to do that analysis. So even though it looks like I'm doing really great on revenues, I still can't figure out why I can't pay the light bill at the end of the month. And that's the reason why. That could be one of the reasons why.
0: <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, know, for the person that is an extreme number of phobic, are there some exercises or some processes that they can do to try to get into the numbers game a little bit uh you know small steps to to lead to larger steps type of thing
1: Uh uh-huh absolutely the first thing they should do is they should take our uh small business assessment on best small business help it's just true false Mm. and that will that will be like a mirror for them to see what they already understand and what they don't understand Mm the next thing they should do is start with chapter one because chapter one takes you through the net income statement just line by line and once you look at that then you should have your bookkeeper print out for you a net income statement from your business and look at it line by line and what we're going to do with the know your numbers campaign is we are encouraging everybody who's bought the book to be part of our ecosystem and once a month I'm going to have office hours And we're going to go through the net income statement and people can send me their net income statements. I'll look at it and I'll give them some feedback on it. So I would start there.
0: Hmm. Okay. Now, I wanted to ask you about accountants. How do you interview for and monitor and find a great accountant what are you looking for in a great account because some people they just don't want to do they've got the bookkeeper and then, then the bookkeeper accountant combination and then you've got a comptroller type of person um for small business a lot of times it is like here's a box of receipts just deal with it <laughs> um make it look pretty and then sit down with me and break my heart so when looking for an accountant what should, it should be a, a person that's uh opposite to you, somebody that's very fastidious, or it should be somebody that you relate to? What should be looking for?
1: Oh, it's a good question. Well, the first thing I would say is it's got to be somebody who knows your industry. Mm. Because these are people who have seen a lot of problems, they're experienced, they know they they have a pretty good idea of what standard performance looks like in your industry. So, for Mm. example, um, you know, there are accountants that specialize in the restaurant business. There are accountants that specialize in service businesses. They have different dynamics. They have different cost structures. They have different um, tax considerations. So, one way to find accountants that are good in your industry is go to industry trade associations, and or go to your alumni association, and see if you can find. Um, but particularly industry trades will know. They, they'll probably have rosters of accountants that are members of those industry trades associations because they want business um, from people that are running businesses in their specialty. And then ask for three references. Um, you know, when I first started Bedazzled Incorporated 25 years ago, I looked for somebody who knew the garment business really well. And I found a good guy, and he became highly recommended. And um, I told him, I knew nothing about the numbers because I didn't at that time and I said you're just gonna have to do some hand-holding here I mean I'm a quick study I'll learn it but um, I essentially gave him the book of you know the the shoebox of receipts but what I also did for him which is helpful you know your accountant is your collaborator the feedback you're gonna get from that person is only gonna be as good as the input that you provide to them so one of the things is I created a narrative and it was like a little story, you know, this is my business, this is what we do, these are the types of clients that we have, this is this is the seasonality of the business. Uh, we were selling t-shirts to uh, to boutiques in uh, the Caribbean and also on the various coasts, so summer was a very big season for us, and I gave him sort of, you know, an outline, a profile of the business so that our accountant had a pretty good idea of what was going on and then I would say to him okay I've got a million receipts how do I sort them or how do I think about them and the first thing he said to me was you've gotta segregate your personal from your business life you just have to do that so you should have a separate bank account you should have a separate credit card and only business expenses go on the business credit card only personal expenses go on the personal credit card only business expenses get washed through the business account you know, your checking account and so on, so it makes reconciliation a a little bit more complicated, not much, but the accountant can do that, the reconciliations, the monthly reconciliations, or a bookkeeper can even do that. I actually have a bookkeeper and an accountant, because the bookkeeper does the monthly reconciliations at, let's say, 30 bucks an hour, and then the accountant takes all the data from the bookkeeper and it takes him a lot less time to put the taxes together at $250 an hour and i you know i want to make it easy for him and kind of spoon feed him all the information because i'd rather spend 30 bucks an hour than 250 getting the job done and so that's one way and i found it an effective way to work with an accountant but the way you find them is first in your industry second uh, you know they should have i would say at least 10 years of experience because they need to be working with a lot of other people, and they they should have come up a learning curve on someone else's dime, not yours. So I would say at least ten years of experience, um, and uh, and then you know vet them, ask them for at least three people who've worked with them, and see if those three people have similar kinds of challenges that you have so that you can feel confident when you hire this person that they're, you know, to your point earlier, Bob, right, they have the right personality, they have the right level of patience and um, and they're good at explaining complex things. You know, there was this uh, one woman that I had as an accountant, she was actually quite good many years ago, and she worked with number phobic business owners. Mm-hmm. and. And she worked particularly with female business owners because she really had the patience to do that. And she was very good at what she did and she was very popular and she knows her business and she's up on all the changes and regulations and tax laws and all of that. And she built a very vibrant practice just with female business owners. Hmm. So they're out there.
0: Yeah. You just go to – well, you know, it's – you get – you got to get out uh... – you got to get the right results based on the right type of attitude and the right type of energy that you put into it. And I think you know, looking for somebody that's going to be helping you with your accounting um, and your numbers, and you are semi numberphobic thats a pretty critical decision to be making. Yes, it is. I wanted to ask you know, you, you've got tremendous amount of information uh, and knowledge and, and background on on numbers. Um, when you were writing the book, what? idea or concept crystallized for you where you you kind of knew it was a reality you knew it was a truth but when you wrote the book it's like wow it was an aha moment for you
1: oh um (laughs) well when I was writing the introduction actually is when I had the aha moment Mm -hmm. and uh the analogy that I use in the book is one of the last scenes from The Wizard of, of Oz. Mm. And have you seen the movie? Oh, yes. Yeah, I think most people have seen the movie. So there's this wonderful scene where, uh, you know, because I'm trying to figure out, you know, how do I reach my audience with this book? And then the scene came to mind where Dorothy and all of her buddies, right, the, the Cowardly Lion and the Tin Man and the, and the Scarecrow, were they finally got in to see The Wizard they finally got into the you know the 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 inner circle the inner sanctum of the wizard and the his voice is blazing and the fire is going and they're all shaking in their shoes and suddenly toto jumps out of her basket and he runs over the curtain and they're horrified right they, they just feel like this dog is going to be completely consumed and he pulls the curtain aside and they see who's behind the curtain And it's this little short man with gray hair, and that's all it is. Mm -hmm. And suddenly they realize, you know, we're intimidated for no reason. And that was the aha moment for me, because that's what the book has done for hundreds of people that have already read it. That what it does, it's like Toto in The Wizard of Oz, it just goes over to the curtain, it just pulls it aside, and all that standing back there is a short little man with gray hair. It's it's not an intimidating topic um, if you understand the basics and it's really basic and I haven't had a single person go through the program right step by step just straightforward simple language you know funny illustrations to say I don't get it not a single person hmm. and I've and I've had a lot of them say you know. I want to thank you for doing this because I, I felt so much shame around this topic that I couldn't even communicate to people how little I understood because I just felt so embarrassed about it. And what the book does is it acknowledges the talent of these marvelous people who frankly hold the quality of our daily lives, Bob, in the Palm of their hands. You know, these small business owners are very, very important to our lives, to our economy. And it's really important that we make sure as many of them as possible succeed. And that's the mission that the book is on. And um, so, what the aha moment was really the level of intimidation was far greater than I even anticipated and as I was speaking to people and again as people have read it and they've given me feedback, I realized that when we talk about number phobic, it isn't just like a fear of numbers, they're terrified of this, but they also know that this is the key to their future. So the book works very, very hard to lower that intimidation bar and invite people into a safe space and say you know what it's it's going to be okay <laughs> and by the time you know you finish with chapter one you're going to be ahead of ninety nine percent of the small business owners out there and i know that seems like a hard to hard to believe but it's true
0: well you know it's making the first step that's the biggest and the most important and uh... i couldn't agree with you more about uh small business owners and I would even say medium-sized business owners uh, understanding the importance and the accountability of the numbers uh, because if you don't know where you're driving how the heck are you gonna know when you're going into a dangerous that's exactly, situation
1: that's exactly right and let me give you a great I mean it's such a such a perfect comment let me give you an example you know I was um, I was a senior executive at Citigroup and I ran a hundred and thirty million dollar business there that was falling apart by the way and my little group of heretics, the people that worked with me, we turned that business around in six months. And it was a real wake-up call about how to do it and how to do it in a short time frame. But, no. um Oh, okay. I uh, was just
0: going to ask you, when you did that over six months, was it purely because you crunched the numbers and you saw where the, the, the leaky parts of the boat were? And you you could, bet. Yeah. You
1: bet. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. You see where the risks are. You see where the opportunities are. You don't try to be a hero on every front. You prioritize those things that are gonna protect the business on the risk side. You look at those things that are gonna give you the the highest gross profit as quickly as possible on the revenue side, and you get everybody on board, and day by day, you push the ball down the field. I mean, that's what you do. It's not glamorous, but it's not complicated either. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that I found with medium-sized businesses, um, I've had a number of CEOs of private companies who bought the book for their entire executive team. Hmm. And one guy in particular uh, who runs FMSI, um, is, his name is Michael Scott and he's just brilliant. And he read the book and he's got a multi-million dollar business that he started from nothing and 25 years later here he is and he said you know my salespeople need to understand what my marketing people know and my marketing people need to understand what my finance people know and he said I think what this book is going to do is give us a common language to talk to each other and it's going to bring us closer together because we're going to be shooting for the same objectives because we're going to finally understand how all of our roles connect to ultimately the performance of the business, both the profits and the cash flow and ultimately the net worth of the business, which is the balance sheet. So I just thought that was a brilliant application of the book. and then what we're doing is we're having office hours where the team and I, we do a webinar, I do a webinar for them, and uh, we make the book come alive for their business. So, finally, the sales guy understands that when they're negotiating for a sales, just like we talked about a minute ago, that the payment policies need to be part of that dialogue. Mm. And suddenly, their cash flow has improved with existing clients and with new clients. It's like revelation.
0: You know, it's very interesting because really what you're saying is by everybody in the organization understanding what the bottom line is, you're uh, actually making everybody accountable and you're making everybody, that's the right. CEO, everybody owns the company.
1: That's and- exactly right. That bingo, that's exactly right. So you treat not just your executive team, but I used to go through this exercise with my, my uh, admin assistants, mm. you know, with my secretaries, with, um, you know, my chief of staff. I sit them down and say, look, this is why we're in business. And this is where the strengths and the weaknesses are. And they were part of those conversations, too. And suddenly, they got real creative. Hey, you know what? If we did things this way, we could save some money. If we did things that way, we might be able to close a client quicker. You know, all of a sudden, everybody's critical thinking skills kick in. And it's, you know, they're not there. Like, um, they they do begin to act like owners and not like employees, to your point. Mm
0: Mm-hmm accounting for a number phobics a survival guide for small business owners i've got dawn uh, on the show today and it was awesome listening to you and i just love your energy you're so on fire about this and it is a wonderful wonderful book so i highly recommend it for everybody to go check out and supercharge your business by knowing what the heck is going on dawn thanks for being on the show
1: oh it's my pleasure bob anytime
0: Hey, I hope you enjoyed that show, and do me a favor and tweet about it. Follow us on Facebook if you haven't done that already. We really appreciate it. See you next week.